Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Me Digital. I am your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season five, the first episode of season five. Welcome to a brand new season. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, reaching out, being amazing. You know, we have a little team over here that puts us together every week. And uh, it's just really encouraging when we get to hear from you when you bother to write or talk about how something impacted you or share it with somebody else. Just thank you. Thank you for coming along. Uh, Keeps us going, gives us gas in the tank. Hey, uh, speaking of putting gas in the tank, uh, a way that we want to do that for you is through this Facebook group called Digital Church. Uh, This Facebook group has uh, five or 600 people at this point, and it's a group for anyone like you who's interested in conversations around digital church evangelism and discipleship. And so if you want to get resourced, you want to connect with others on this topic and basically just want to be in the loop on all things going on with Word Made Digital and the world of digital church, great research, great content. We want to resource you and connect you. Go on Facebook, search Digital Church for the group, or you can check out the link below. We'd love for you to join us there. Also, I have started doing uh, weekly tutorial videos on YouTube. Uh, I mean, you can check them out at wordmadedigital.com, but you can also find them on YouTube. would love for you to uh, learn along with us. We're talking to churches, probably more the smaller than the bigger churches, or to leaders who are trying to do stuff on their own. If you're trying to build something, we'd love to support you, and that's what these free resources are for. So go to wordmadedigital.com or find us on YouTube. Link below. Okay. This episode, the first episode of season five, we have Scott Erickson, or maybe you know him as Scott the Painter, and he recently has just released a book called Honest Advent. Of course, Christmas is coming up, and it's a book about Christmas or how we depict Jesus and how we use art to understand what Christmas is, but it's much more than that. So you're going to love the conversation with Scott about faith and Jesus and this crazy year we've had. Thank you so much to the sponsors of this podcast, Season 5, back again, Wycliffe College. Thank you so much for joining on this journey. WycliffeCollege.ca slash WordMadeDigital is where you can find all kinds of information about this amazing seminary, this world-class place where there's faculty of top scholars working in all kinds of disciplines and interests. So whether you're looking to engage academically or you're looking to just grow in your own discipleship, if you go to wickliffecollege.ca slash digital, we have a free gift for you. You get some Wycliffe swag. They want to send some stuff to you in the mail. I have some of it myself. There's some fun stuff they want to send you. So why not go to the website and check it out? Uh, an amazing opportunity too for you to consider if you want to grow in your discipleship or into an academic career even. Okay, and also, of course, thank you so much to Compassion Canada. I mean, let's be honest, this year has been such a different kind of year and uh, this time of year too we're starting to see our inboxes fill up with all kinds of stuff for charities or you know we're seeing ads online for um, people who are asking us to give to different causes around Christmas because yeah the global pandemic has hit hard and it has hit globally Um, but we can make a difference COVID-19 doesn't have to stop our efforts to end poverty even though there's been a tons of hit hits at that this year Compassion Canada has designed this annual gift guide to ensure that kids living in poverty survive the pandemic and then thrive into the future. So it's beautiful and it's filled with meaningful and practical gifts. And man, a lot of the time we come to Christmas and we don't even know what to get some people in our life. And 
And there's also fun ways we can engage kids and families with it. If you want to buy some goats or some chickens or you want to buy some school supplies, we'd love for you to consider getting involved in this. So you can go to compassion.ca slash gifts. You can make a huge difference, especially in 2020. People need your support. Go to compassion.ca slash gifts. Okay. Coming up on this podcast, Scott the Painter. He's a traveling painter, artist, performance speaker, creative curate, as he calls himself. And he has um, his own autobiography, but also mythology and aesthetics he uses to create art and moments in live experiences that really speak to the deepest human experience, which is what all good art should do. So we're going to be talking about art and Christmas art <laughs> and how to be more honest in this um, this upcoming holiday season. So enjoy this conversation with Scott the Painter. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 5, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank Scott you. the Painter. Here. I'm so glad to have you. This is I I have followed you for so long and, you know, your art is uh, it stops me, it strikes me, it it moves me, which I think is what art is supposed to do. So I'm so glad to talk to yeah. you. And we're talking about Honest Advent, you know, this this work that you've done to do with Christmas and 25 readings for Advent, like leading up to Christmas. But before we get to that and we go Christmassy, um, let's go, <laughs> let's jump back into what we were just talking about, which is um, the business of art. You Have you been an artist your whole life? Uh. Yes, I uh, put a lot of intentionality into it at 25 and then vocationally at 27. Mm -hmm. So meaning I, um, I graduated college, I studied education and art, uh, but after that I worked for a bit. I went and lived in Europe for a year, attended a Bible school in Europe and backpacked, came back, ended up substitute teaching, ended up teaching high school. But when I came back from Europe, I started applying myself to the practice of painting, meaning I had no classes or schedule. It just was like something I knew I needed to give time to. And then uh, at 27, I, I just remember writing uh, in my prep period on the board and I just stopped and I was like, there's something else I'm being invited to. I'm not sure what that is, but I, mm -hmm. I something in a long conversation uh, with myself and, and the and the giver of my life led me to go, you know, if I, if I don't try to be an artist, whatever that means, I always regret it. Um, I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew I wanted to try to do it. And so I, at 27, I left teaching and started pursuing art full time. Uh, thankfully I got married and I had a sugar mama for, uh, <laughs> those first four years and the last few years, like we trades on and off to give me time to develop and, and develop things. But yeah, but for the last uh, – in there, I worked for a church, a design agency, a nonprofit, but I've always kept this practice and occupation of being an artist, and it's been for the last five years. I've just been an independent artist, author, performing artist, all of that. Yeah. 
yeah, you took, you took the leap. That's often the, um, you know, a lot of conversations we have here on We're Made Digital is this tension point of the thing you really would love to do with your life, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it doesn't yet make the money to justify doing it, but will it ever if you don't try, <laughs> if you yeah, don't take a absolutely. leap. absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, what we were just bantering about too was this idea of what I, I guess I'm just calling the business of art. Uh, that you're an artist, but learning how to do the business side is an entirely separate thing, which is why a lot of people are starving yeah. artists because they are fantastic at creating, but have no idea how to sell it or position it in the world uh, yeah. for anyone else. So, so what have you been learning about that or, or what is your approach to that? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I have three kids, so I, at last time I had to like five years ago, I had to go, what, how do I make money? Like really think through the revenue streams of like, if, what do people want from me? Mm. What can I give them? And so I had to develop that. I have throughout my art career been a performing artist and like a painter for hire and painted live at events and stuff. So I did the like conference and church circuit for a while. Um, and so developed a way of like, how do you become a traveling painter? How do you take gear across the country? And, uh, how do yeah. you, you know, I started to figure out all those things, but then, um, yeah, a few years ago I met a guy named Sean St. Peter, uh, and he's got a pretty kicking Etsy shop and I heard he was making like 25 grand a month on Etsy selling, um, he would take pictures of vintage kids toys and like really nice photographs. And then he'd print them on canvases and he kind of landed in the kid's uh, decorated decoration room, you know, Mm. decorating rooms for children scene. And so he was doing really well and he lived in the town I lived in. So we had lunch through a mutual friend and he was telling me, he was like, Oh, I'm trying some stuff out on Shopify and all this stuff. And I just, you know, so then we'll come to this conversation, which is when you're, when you're an artist, you're given like limited ways of your, or ideas of what being an artist. But one of my friend, Kristen Cochran, great painter and teacher and Dallas, she's, she says, she's like, I'll often get people be like, well, how do I make it in the art world? And she's like, well, what world do you mean? Because mm. there's so many worlds in the art world right. that you could be like in the craft world. You could do the like selling paintings at a f- art fair world. You know, you could, there's, you know, getting into retail, all that kind of stuff. And so I just looked at what I did and was like, I'm making uh, an immense amount of work. I usually, because I was live painting a lot, I was like making something and then I just, it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, And so I was like, well, what if I could create like an online store that just kind of catalogs everything I've made and then I can keep residually making that. Now I knew I didn't want to have like a printer in my house and be printing stuff and then just like going to the post office all the time. So what was interesting about Shopify and it backends to this third party printer and shipper is that it's all automated. So you just have to do the work, the back end work, which is a bit laborious, but once you get it set up, it just runs on its own. So it's a residual income, which is what Tim Ferriss says in four hour week work week is what you want to do. And I just said, you know, I went into it going, I can't judge this on one month. I got to judge it on like five years. Uh, so just keep slowly building this thing. And it's been like four years and now it's like half of my income. In fact, it's been saving my butt. This pandemic is it's kind of been that online store has been like some months, the only, the only way I've been making any income. So 
Um, it was worth doing. Uh, so that's just, but that's just like one aspect. The way that I think about my career is I go, okay, I, it's like three parts. I'm a visual artist. So I'm an illustrator painter. So I make artworks for commission pieces, although I don't do any commissions right now, uh, <laughs> or make stuff for Instagram online. And then I, and then it goes into my store or odd jobs. Then I'm also an author and I have my third book that just came out. And then I'm a performance artist and a speaker. So then I speak and and tour a show, which is also on pause right now. So, though, now, and, and so I think of those that, three things. Oh, just by the way, as a sidebar to the show, um, mm-hmm. I'm connected to Punchline Speakers, which is um, oh, nice. my, and my Holly agents. and mm-hmm. Joy and mm-hmm. that whole crew that that um, you you work with on the speaker side. And so, of, of yeah. course, a lot of that has gone away with COVID. That was like a huge part of your performative artwork was yeah. the shows. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When it started, it was just like, here's your schedule for the rest of the year being canceled. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was very sad. It is sad, Yeah, well, how, but we'll make how, it. How is, I mean, mental health and artists often is, uh, I mean, the stereotype and, and I think probably why you create, why artists do great art is because they feel a lot of feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah. so how is, how is, how have, how has the feeling train been for you in like a total (laughs) change in your work outlook, just the calendar of, of, of activity for the year? Um, what a crazy year. Well, there was a lot of despair and Mm -hmm. depression. Uh, well, not only did we, that COVID happened, but we moved right in the middle of it, right at the beginning of it. So then we, we moved from Portland to Austin and, uh, we have good friends here, but basically we moved to a city that's like mostly shut down. And so kind of all the great things about Austin aren't, don't exist, nor do we have a way of really connecting with it. Um, so then, so then you had take away all your familiarities. So just a lot of comforts and familiarities have been taken away from yeah. myself, wow. uh, from my life. And that, <clears throat> yeah. And that was, I grieved that for months. And then, um, I'm, I'm grateful. I think the move is always to go, what is the conversation I can only have by being here? Because that helps you center in on how God's involved with your life, on what are the things that you've been neglecting that the the normal busyness of your life that you can easily just like pass over that needs to spend some time developing. And um, I have been doing that stuff. So I will not only, I mean, also I got a book deal right before COVID. So I have Honest Advent came out and then I'm working on Say Yes as a book that's coming out next year. So I do have stuff to do, but what I had to step back was a number of things was considering like, I I had, I actually had to work on a lot of like heart stuff. Um, And the way I would describe it is I needed to find um, the place from within myself to know how to stand from. And uh, it's, it's, I'm trained as a high school teacher. I've been a high school teacher. I've been a college professor. I'm a spiritual director. And yet I still, at times, I'm uncomfortable with considering myself a teacher specifically and specifically a spiritual teacher. And I had to like, uh, work through that stuff with my spiritual director and, and a therapist just, and also just prayerfully to find, uh, a way to be, to make, like, find a place, find a firm place to stand, which I have, which I, which I was like, oh, this is actually all part of the plan is a bad, is a limiting word, but like, this is the necessary work to prepare me for the things that are coming my way. Mm. And so I'm, so that's, 
I'm really grateful for that. And now I'm ready for these, for this next season. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I, I just, I have this real awareness and just my like high and like strength finders, my highest strength is connectedness. So I've just been seeing all these things connecting and I was like, Oh, things are about to like next level for me. And I really need to know inwardly where I, where I, where I'm firmly planted in order to not just flake out on that next phase. So, um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and then, and then also, I guess there's like some other things I've been developing, but I would say like, that's what I've been doing with my time is like paying attention to that other stuff. I also am lucky enough to be married to, uh, my wife, Holly, who runs a blog called the modern proper that, uh, does really well as a business. So, and, and throughout our marriage, we've had like seasons of giving and taking where one person kind of like takes the lead and allows a respite for the other one. So I'm in like for the rest of the year. I'm fine, but I like, I have a book to finish and some things to do, but like Holly's really jamming right now. So there is like a, like, I, I'm okay. Like not having to do so much and I have to take care of children too. So there's all that <laughs> as well, but yeah. Oh, um, sorry. Just as a side note, I, uh, where are they now? I mean, because I'm thinking of all this podcasting you're doing probably today, um, do, where do the children go? Are you cordoned off in some corner with blocking the door so they <laughs> yeah. can't? No, be? <laughs> I mean, we, this is this, uh, what you see is like, I'm in a, I have a studio in my backyard. Okay. So this converted garage space is my like art studio and also a bit of an exercise room over there. And like, a, 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 a like there's places for the kids to come in and like create and yeah. do things like that. So, yeah. but yeah, Perfect. this is my. It's my workspace. So um, would you consider yourself uh, a Christian artist or uh, do you hate that term Christian art? Um, I only hate it if, because it's re- it's known through a certain kind of bookstore or radio channel mm-hmm. that does not, that I feel very off brand with. So uh, I'm okay being, I'm, well, I'm fine being labeled as an artist and if I'm being labeled as a, a Christian or a Christ follower, uh, I just don't like the assumptions that come with that huh. because I would, uh, and then there's legal probably labels like, well, he's a very progressive and left leaning. And, and then there's just like all those kinds of things. But like, uh, I would, yeah, I just like my stuff won't ever appear in a Christian bookstore mm-hmm. or probably at a Christian arts thing. So like, but I'm okay being known as a Christian artist. Yeah. And would you? <laughs> I just think. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're not precious yeah. moments. That's for sure. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, you're not re- you're not paramount painting. Although I'd love your interpretation of that poem mm. about the footprints in the sand. <laughs> That'd be an interest. I'd love oh, to gosh. see your interpretation of that cheesy art that we all, if we've grown up in church, we all saw the art of the footprints somehow with yeah. a poem about and God Jesus carrying, carrying me. you. Or yeah, there's only one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but in general, I'm curious, um, I ask, do you consider yourself a Christian artist? Because a lot of the work you do is faith-based imagery. Um, yeah. Or, but the way that I describe it is I I want to image, I want to give a symbol. uh, I want to give a visual language to people's spiritual journeys. That's how I describe what I would do. So I want to give through kind of a symbol set or image depiction, 
um, these odd and interesting places or dynamics we find ourselves in. And uh, I grew up Protestant, so there isn't there was like maybe three symbols and, and um, even in the Catholic or Orthodox traditions, which have very robust um, kind of image culture and stuff like that. uh, I'm very, I love a lot of that and it's influenced me, but I still think there's this kind of, there hasn't been this updated contextualization of it. And so Mm -hmm. my stuff is like trying to nod to the past, but go, Hey, we've been through a pop culture revolution. We've been through graffiti. We've been through design. What would the stuff look like now? And then uh, if Michelangelo were painting a ceiling today, what might it look like? Yeah. Like it, it would be, that would be a fun project to do. Uh, That specifically would be really an interesting conversation because I think, uh, so I spent after high school, I lived a year in France and I lived next to a, I lived three blocks from a cathedral mm-hmm. and I went there every day and that had a huge effect on me. And one of the things I would say is why our spaces specifically in Western culture, our sacred spaces aren't very impressive is because we make sacred spaces for a teacher instead of making spaces as a teacher. Mm-hmm. So why you've, why you'll love beautiful churches or cathedrals is because the, the building itself is the teacher. And yeah, they'll do a service and a priest will come up and like give a homily, but the space itself is the teacher. And now we only make our buildings for teachers. So -hmm. they're just rooms with sound panels and there's no teaching. It's just like, well, we got to wait till we upload the pro presenter and get the band on the stage and then like a dynamic charismatic speaker. And then we'll have a teaching, you know what I'm saying? And that's a different thing. So if somebody was like paint the ceiling of that, that means they've bypassed all this kind of like where we've come from over the last decades and stuff of like what we think our sacred spaces are. I'd be very interested in making a sacred space as a teacher again. I don't have the money to do that, but like, <laughs> you know, like I don't think we should start building cathedrals again. Cause that would cost us like half a billion dollars. But like, I do think like, I do think like, cons- like, uh, I think one of the things that's going to be very interesting about COVID is like what, uh, on the, what our gatherings and what our spaces look like on the other side. And, um, yeah, anyways, that's a, well, I mean, it's interesting even when you talk about, we're not going to spend this amount of money on a building. Um, you know, I think there's this justice part of me that would agree at most levels, like, yes, you know, there's probably a better way for us to spend our money to I don't know, solve major global hunger issues or something, you know, and it's, and it's the pushback where Catholics and Protestants divided was, there were many issues, but one of them of course was about the money and where it was going to fund these cathedrals on the backs of the poor. However, um, we've gone so far the other way. Like I think not just even in faith-based art, but just in architecture in general, you know, when I walk around my city here in Toronto, the old beautiful buildings that would have taken a long time to build compared to Mm -hmm. the glass and steel structures that go up very, very high, very, very quickly. These cement wall warehouses that just go and then. Yeah. yeah. Whether they're the church or just, Mm -hmm. you know, a condo or an office tower, they go up very quickly, but then you see the ornate detail and the ivy and the carvings in stone or, or just the different thought that went into um, artistry of just architecture, let alone church art or architecture. 
you know, I guess it's maybe we've gone so far the other way. I'd love us to reimagine a church that did spend some money <laughs> on on the yeah. space being more beautiful um, and teaching. Yeah, or or mm-hmm. and I think because there is a danger in nonprofit work, which can just consider numbers and pragmatism instead. And like, there has to be like, also every major society has had sacred spaces. And so we need like a, I, like I live in Texas now and there are plenty of like grossly large churches that are like a block from each other. Like how many like $55 million buildings do you need? Like that are all, that are on the same, about the same thing. Uh, so, but guess what? All of them are closed unless they're having a program or something. What's great about the Catholic church is most of their buildings are open every day because they're like, you can come and sit in the sanctuary and have a time. If you need that a sanctuary, like listen, it's a sanctuary. It's a place for you to get away. It's a place for you to be lifted up because of the high ceilings. It's a place for you to enter into the story, the historical story you're going on. That's why there's the historical story of through the scriptures is all around you. So you understand that you're not, you're part of this larger thing. And, and so the space is like a teacher, a reminder, a solace. And so like, it would be awesome to have, to, to have a strategy to go, what would it look like to have sacred sanctuaries for people to deal with their soul? Um, instead of like, Hey, there's a big event happening this Friday and Saturday and Sunday, you know, and the doors will be open, but then they shut and we keep them closed all week long. You know, it's just that kind of, mm. there are churches that have reimagined their spaces and, and provided an open space, have made it multifunctional, put like food, pantry, coffee shop. Um, there's a great, I was worked at a church in Houston called Ecclesia that is like, well, it's, you know, it's closed now because of COVID, but like was a functioning like food coffee shop, community center at all times. And yeah, they would have services every now and then. So there's, and I, there's a church in Salem, Salem Alliance, that basically was like, we don't need to make a large building for ourselves. Let's make a large building for the city. And so their new church building is like this multifaceted, like community center that they built for the city that their church also uses. And so there's like, there are people with that kind of vision. Um but yeah, the aesthetics also have to be in there too, because I think the pragmatism of building can uh, can often like go, yeah. But what does the space do to you? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, and I think that's a, a question that's always interesting to get into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and um, I think of the time when I it was communications director of a large church and we specifically switched, we had this hot or not list of words to use. And on the, yeah. on the not list was the word sanctuary. And on the hot list was the word auditorium because it wasn't a sanctuary. Um, it yeah. was an auditorium. And first of all, sanctuary mm. felt like bird sanctuary. Like, I don't know, like it was a word that we were trying to um, it wasn't a sanctuary. So we didn't want to describe it that yeah. way. It wasn't sacred yeah. space in terms of, I, mean, I suppose it was spiritually, but it wasn't visually giving that cue. It wasn't just sort of free for all, come and go as you like. I suppose people could have come and every once in a while people yeah. did, but for the most part, it wasn't used as a sanctuary. It was just used yeah. for, you know, the event experience, uh, on yeah. weekends. But you know, when we're talking about sort of what's missing uh, in church and visuals. Um, you've, you, your latest work is about Advent. 
mm-hmm. Christmas. Uh, I, I suppose in some ways this work is something you've been doing for a long time, but it's just come out as a book called Honest Advent. And I'd love to to get in your head even just like why this why this book, uh, why this collection of your work? What was missing from Christmas visually? <laughs> well, it uh, it was the genesis of it was th- around four years ago, where those of us who live in the United States find ourselves in a very similar time, which is uh, right at the end of an exhausting and a divisive election cycle. Um, Syria civil war was really devastating and displacing. And we were seeing images from that. There were multiple mass shootings, Zika, Flint water crisis, kind of all of these really hard things. And then, and it happens in lovely Canada as well, I'm sure. But like in November, the blanket of, uh, the dusting of Christmas decorations just descends on all of Western culture. And I remember walking into like a target for something and I was just like, Oh yeah, Christmas time, you know? And I just had this deep feeling. I was just like, man, I, and I'm a fan of Christmas. I love Christmas here in the States. A lot of radio stations will become 24 hour Christmas music all the time. I'm one of those nerds who sets that on the memory of dial of the oh, yeah, call, I you know, like I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But like that year, I just, in the context of all the devastation and misery we found ourselves in, I just found the brand of Christmas completely irrelevant to the world I found myself in. Even And not even just like the Santa story, which is fine. I'm just like, but how many more Santa movies do we need? But like, uh, and how do they have all that technology in the North pole? We should get some of that, but we, <laughs> they like also in my own Christian tradition, um, uh, the, the, the imagery and the depictions just seemed like sanitized and safe mm. and not really human at all. Like they just did, they felt void of like the world I found myself in. And, uh, for me, like I, have been, I am married. I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one. I I've seen three pregnancies and births up close. And I, as a witness to the female experience in birth, I just was like, birth is wonderful and, and, and amazing and, and sacred, but it's also like difficult and hard and transformational and painful and a lot of fluids. And it it's, and it's very risky. Right. And, uh, I started, we were pregnant with our third at that time. And I just, I just like paid close attention to what was happening. And my thought was this, which was like, um, God incarnated into the world through human vulnerability. And if we're going to still find God in our midst now, it's along that same Avenue, Mm. which is human vulnerability. And I, so I started looking at kind of the vulnerability of being incarnated, being human, being uh, going through the pregnancy cycle. And it's all very shockingly weak Mm -hmm. and vulnerable, which religion doesn't like because religion really likes to be powerful and on the winning side. And I grew up and I'm a part of like, uh, maybe not any, I'm not a part of it, but I grew up in, you know, the superiority complex of Christianity, which is we're right. We're the winners. We're all, we're better than everybody else. Uh, and we figured and, it out and, and we figured it out. God get everybody over here. Cause we're the right ones. And, and yet you constantly see in the, in the incarnation of Jesus, someone who keeps choosing humility and weakness. Huh. 
And so uh, I started just these illustrations of like pregnant women uh, in with blood and uh, and uh, just you know nipples and boobs that weren't the same size and because it wasn't trying to like I'm not there's plenty of uh, the objectifying of female bodies for sure but I like live with a naked, you know, I'm, I'm around a naked pregnant woman and just, you know, and her being like, my, this boob's bigger than the other. That's what happens, you know? And, and it's just real life. And that's our life together. Yeah. Real life. And so I was just like going, look at this, like what happens? Cause here's what I learned from being around cathedrals and all the sacred work is that when, and I have a chapter in the book that's called sacred and it's specifically of this, like, a uh, nude pregnant woman who's like arching her back. Some people think it looks like she's giving birth that way, but I was, it's actually just an image of my wife who woke up and she heard like just back would hurt. She's like, Oh, my back hurts so bad. Um, and cause her body, you know, certain times in pregnancy, you're just, your body hurts all the time. And uh, I was like, the thing is like, what does, what does it mean to make something sacred? Mm-hmm. It seems that what happens is like something something other otherworldly or something extra happened in our mundane world that transformed us. And so we want to remember that moment and we want to pay homage to it. And we usually do that by glittering it up, putting some gold leaf on it and all of that. And, and I'm, and I, that makes sense. I think that's an honoring uh, process or process as you say in Canada, <laughs> but like what, uh, what happens in that is that that slow, process of making something sacred. It's the slow baby steps of, of saying to yourself that only happens to other perfect people and not to ordinary smelly pubic hair ridden cellulite bodies like mine. Mm. And, and actually all sacred moments come through our human biology. They happen through human lives. And so to, and I, and I, and I go like, look, no, like nobody wants to see, you know, like they crucified Jesus naked, but nobody wants to walk into a sacred space and see the like wedding tackle of the King of Kings. Like I get it. That's, you know, it's reverence that, that makes us put on that loincloth, but we need to realize and always keep in mind that that's an editorializing Mm -hmm. because the goal of crucifixion was not only slow death, but also shame. And, um, And so like we too, even though we have these like sanitized sacred stories of nativity and stuff, must realize those are an editorializing too. I guess I wanted just to counteract. I wanted to like, what my intention was, was like, I just as a designer, as an artist, I'm like, there is a massive brand of Christmas. Like there is like, and if you've grown up in it, you don't even think of it as a brand. You're like, this is Christmas. But if you travel, if you go to another country, the best thing in the world is to go to a country that doesn't celebrate Christmas. Like that's a boot, like Thailand, that's a Buddhist country, you know, like they don't, because then you're like, oh, oh, this is just a thing I grew up with. Like I just, I was on a podcast with a guy from New Zealand and he's like, yeah, Cause I was like the brand of Christmas is like winter and it's cold and stockings. And he's like the Southern hemisphere. It is summertime. Christmas for us every year is like, you know, like 35 degrees 
<laughs> and and palm trees and it's hot out but he's like still we'll put Chris we'll put evergreen trees in our <laughs> living room and we'll hang fake icicles on and he's like actually recently like a lot of people in New Zealand are like this is dumb like it's summertime here it's not winter yeah. why and oh we're doing winter because that's coming from North America or Europe and um so I wanted to that's why that book that you have is it my goal was to make it look nothing like the Christmas brand. I just was like, I don't want this to look like Christmas at all because I just want to sidestep this juggernaut of a brand and go, what is this story outside of this brand that's been invented by marketing and consuming firms? But like it, but what is happening here? What is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be incarnate? Like, what is it, you know, because Jesus partook in becoming human and becoming visible and we have to do the same thing. We come, we don't get, we don't get any choice in coming into the world. We appear in a family, we appear in a body we didn't get to choose with genes that we didn't get any choice in. And, and the choice to us is every day is to take the risk of being seen and participating in life and to choosing to love and to forgive. Mm -hmm. And Christ emulated that. And so I, I wanted to like, look at Jesus partaking in human vulnerability that lets us find the divine amidst our own human vulnerability. And so that's what, that's where that book came from. And I think it was necessary because I think we're, we're find ourselves in a very similar moment, which is an exhaustive, at least in the United States, an exhaustive elective cycle, a global pandemic, a racial unrest, um, a lot of reckoning and a lot of vulnerabilities that we, that we don't feel comfortable with. And I think we can find the incarnate Christ right there, right there in the midst of all of that. Wow. I mean, there's this, uh, idea that you say that you think that you have another phrase you think we should say instead of Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's be not afraid. I said be not afraid could be a, a legit substitute for Merry Christmas because uh, all the angelic announcements started with be not afraid. And um, not happy birthday. I mean, essentially, Merry Christmas. Not happy birthday. Happy birthday of Christ. <laughs> it's happy birthday of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. But be not afraid. Um, it that that specific meditation I talk about. Uh, the angels appearing, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And uh, like where, what we probably have in our heads is like this robust laser light show, you know, with a lot of lights and sounds and stuff like that. But that's mostly been given to us by television or movies or maybe even paintings, but not really scripture. It just says like the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it infers light, but um what I was like, I think the glory of the Lord is about weightiness and reverence. Um, and I give an example is like, if you were swimming in the ocean and like a, a whale came by you, you know, you would give reverence because of it's the weight of its immensity. It's immensity would reveal your fragility and you would have to give honor to it because you would be aware of that weight. And so it was like, besides the laser light show that's happening is like maybe the glory of the Lord and the weightiness of that moment was going, God's actually real. Mm. Like this spiritual realm is a reality that has been hidden to me my whole life to these, these people who find themselves in this story. And like actually all of my assumptions about everything have fallen apart. Mm. 
And like now I'm left in the ashes of my limiting conclusions, my limiting conclusions about what life is, about what I am capable of being a part of, Mm -hmm. about what God's doing in the midst of it. And, and so why that specific meditation is to, if you follow the 25 days is day 25. So it happens Christmas morning. And I was like, the place historically that God incarnates something new in our life is it has to like God starts with our fears because our fears are our worries and our anxieties about limited conclusions about our lives. And that's where if a, if a, if an announcement that everything could be different, that things are going to change, that there's going to be something new, it's going to have to confront those fears first. Mm-hmm. So I think Merry Christmas could be substituted with be not afraid. Like, cause that, that's, <laughs> that seems to be the start of the conversation is don't be afraid. Beautiful. Yeah. And he says it to us over and over, uh, yep. by he, I mean, God, uh, to the people, uh, mm-hmm. and we continue to forget it over and over, but yeah, especially in this anxious yeah. time in an anxious year, we're coming up to an anxious Christmas or, you know, in many places of the world, uh, who celebrate Christmas, you can't get together in the ways you would want to this year. Um, you know, governments yeah. are advising in many places to not have the big parties or the big. Yep. Even just the family in some places, whole you know, larger family gatherings are are not. It's just an anxious time. Um, yeah. Um, do you find creating art? Does it, I mean because it's also business for you? Is it something that helps you reduce anxiety, or is art often a place where you confront anxiety? <laughs> Yeah, uh, art, uh, the creative uh, the creative process is my way of understanding the world uh, and processing through the mystery that we all find ourselves mm-hmm. in. So it is it is my like examination, processing, prayer, response. It's all of those things. So in fact, a lot of what is on Instagram in my account is like my own working it out. Mm. You know, it is my own, like, what do I do with this despair? Mm. And, and like praying, thinking, meditating, hoping, working through that and, and giving myself some kind of visual anchor that I can keep that in mind or, you know, solidify that in me. And then, and then when I do that work in it and I find that it becomes an avenue for connection and therapy and relief and all of that, then I offer it to a larger audience and go, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And that, that is a lot of like what, uh, I do, uh, that, I mean, that's like a certain, there's like a therapeutic part of my life that like knows that art making is part of that. And then there's also like a problem solving that, uh, that I think, uh, that I'm trying to do with my visualizations. So, um, giving ways of, working through different ideas. Like what are some ones I'm working on now? I'm trying to like visual, I, like on my list of to do's is uh, like I'm, I'm want to visualize the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. So make it a series of images um, that coincides with the words. Uh, I want to, there is, oh, I shouldn't reveal this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to create like a, like how stations of the cross is before Easter. I'm thinking of a stations of, 
resurrection on the other mm-hmm. side of Easter. And so I'm working through those stations um, to see like what was Jesus re- resurrecting on the other side huh. um, and, and is still resurrecting. And so giving like an icon or image set for that to, to like, cause that, cause then it's like, well, it, cause here, look, Joe, this is my, this is my frustration with a lot of religion is like, not a lot of religion. <laughs> my frustration is just like, I find East, I find Easter very, uh, disappointing. Hmm. Like I, like Easter is, if you work at a church, Easter is like, he's risen, he's risen. But if you really went into, like, let's be honest, if you go to everybody in that audience and go, he's risen and just be like, what the hell does that mean to you? Like, I do think there are people in that congregation who have robust spiritual lives and they're like, I interact with the living Christ. He's risen. He has been risen. He's, I've known this resurrected Christ. I think a lot of people would be like, I don't. I don't really know. I just know supposed to clap and we're supposed to hand out flowers to people. And it's just like our holiday. And you know, like it's, <laughs> it's this, it's like, he's risen. I still got to pay my taxes next week. You know, it's like, well, who gives a crap that he's risen? Like, like that's like, what is he rising for? And uh, there is a strand of religion that's like, well, when you die, you don't really die. And you're like, great, that's it? Is that all he's risen for? So like when I die, like everybody else who's ever lived, I'm not really dead, but I have no idea what that is and nor am I in control of it. Great. Well, what about now in this life? Like the life that I have to live average 80 years, maybe less, maybe more, what does rising mean now? And it's hard to find it. Often I feel like the Easter sermon doesn't hit that. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is Christ resurrecting now? What's being resurrected in us? And I often think that Easter is just like a big, like we win party versus like, (laughs) we went through death. What are we free now to resurrect into? And that's why I think like good Friday is important and silent Saturday is important because then humble Easter is just like standing outside the grave of your once dead life going, well, what's possible now? And that is what we're invited to do every day. And so like, I want, like my deepest desire is to find the living Christ now in our lives right now. And as a spiritual director and as a person who teaches on prayer, like uh, the pivot for like spirituality is not about getting God's attention. Spirituality is about awakening to the work and voice of God already in your life, already in everybody's life. We don't need missionaries to go to other countries and be like, you don't know God. You don't know God. No, learn about our God. We need to go to other countries and be like, God is somewhere in your midst. Can I help you find, let's talk about where that is because God is already involved in every, and that's a different place to start from. And we could tangent on that if you want to. Which is, which is what we always hope, which is what we always hope art will do that. It, yeah. it comes yeah. alongside of us. It surprises us. It moves us uh, in a yeah. way that's less, hope, I mean, good art, I would say, whatever I define as good art, less aggressive, uh, aggressive for the wrong reasons, you know, that it um, confronts something in us because uh, because it moves us to something rather than saying this art is right and you are wrong. Um, it stirs yeah. something in our humanity. It's, it's- 
it's I I say it's like it's an excavation mm-hmm. tool. It's pulling out our deepest thoughts, feelings about the life we find ourselves in. Um, like a great song that you hear that causes you to stop and weep. Why? It's because the artist somehow sonically and lyrically perfectly depicted what it feels like to be in your skin. Mm. Uh, Maybe in a way, actually mostly in a way that you hadn't got in touch with. And so when you come across a film or a piece of visual art or a song, or even like an amazing, like, like people often dismiss food, but I'm like, until you've had a meal that made you cry, you won't understand what I'm talking (laughs) about. But like some kind of created thing that, excavates this deep, like it's your soul. It's this, the depth of your life. Your soul is the depth of your Mm. being and it excavates and lets you see that for a second. And you're like, Oh, there's the depth of my life. And usually it brings you to tears or some kind of euphoria because you're like, there is the essence of, of what it is to be alive. And that is one of the wonderful functions that art can do. Um, and that's why we have it. And that's why people do it. Cause they're trying to like, we're trying to go, what is this thing we find ourselves in this mystery of being here? Um, and I think coming back to the book, like Jesus, the story of God is not like, can't wait. You can't wait for, for you all to get off earth. You know, like this, <laughs> like this four, yeah, 14th century get out of here mystic. Soon. It Ars- sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Meister Eckhart said, if God wanted us to be in heaven, he would have never created the mm-hmm. earth. So like, this is, where we're supposed to be this life, this existence, this is where we, this is where we, this is where the, the finite meets the infinite. And so, uh, Christ incarnating is honoring and giving, saying like being humans, good, being, being humans, good. And I'm participating with that. I want you to participate with that. Yeah. And that means a lot for someone like me and others who have had, real bouts of depression and suicidal ideation, because I think there's a real, and I have work about that as well, which is like (laughs) life is a miracle, but what happens when you don't want that miracle? And I do think like, I love the way that I grew up and, and a lot of the people who taught me the faith I have, but there was this like focus on like afterlife. Mm -hmm. It just was all like all about afterlife, afterlife, afterlife. And what it was saying is like, this life really sucks. And I started to understand like, actually, a lot of the people at the churches I were at were just a bunch of people who hated their lives. And couldn't <laughs> they hated and, their and existence. And maybe they built them that way uh, because yeah. they and weren't so they striving just, for anything more. Yeah. Yeah. They hated their lives. They hated life. They hate the earth and they just can't wait to get right. off of it, yeah. out of it. And that is, that doesn't seem christian at all well not when (laughs) you know christmas is this declaration that flesh matters fleshiness earth (laughs) being here and now with people is profound yeah 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 absolutely absolutely well scott this christmas i love this (laughs) be be not afraid we got into all the things we got we got deep yeah there we go yeah be not afraid that sounds like an anthem uh, a greeting I want to use more in 2020's Christmas season. Be not afraid. Um, yeah, Scott, where do where do people find you? Where do where where do you want to point people to your work? And especially tell people where to buy your stuff instead of stealing it from the internet. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, oh, it's not fine. Don't <laughs> steal it. But um, 
So yeah, the newest book is out now, available everywhere books are sold. And you can find that on platforms like Amazon and stuff. But if you want to buy from local bookstores, um, I have a website called honestadvent.com, just the title of the book. And there's a button right there at the beginning that will let you uh, buy from local bookstores. And that's a great thing to do because our local bookstores are such a gift. Um, so there's that. And um, I have all kind of arts and meditations and stuff to go with that for your church communities this year. Uh, I am most engaged on Instagram and I am Scott the painter on Instagram and all social media. Uh, and my website is scotterickson And yeah, I have a great uh, gallery of work that you can hang in your homes because most of you don't have art on your walls and you should. Yeah. So I have some good stuff for that and uh, stuff that, that speaks to your own journey. And that's where I'm at online. And then when traveling starts again, I'll post where I'm coming. I'm hoping to come to Toronto and Hamilton. Yeah, we want to uh, have you. There's all this talk. I know. Was it was in the works. We were working on it in the I spring. Know, and then, know. you know, everything just got I was involved in some of down, that but. conversation about getting you here. But maybe 2021, man. <laughs> maybe 2021. We'll see how things Scott, go. Scott, it's so great to meet you and to chat. Uh Thanks, Joanna. It's been great talking. Um, you are yeah. you're a well of of uh, insight, and and I just I, I we see that through your work, but just see that too in this conversation. So I do want people to get this. If people are feeling not very Christmassy, or they just want to change the way they do Christmas, I would I would love. I'm going to be you know going through this book through the month. I want people to join me. Honest Advent, grab the book, and. Um, and we'll do it. We'll do Christmas Not Afraid this we'll year. We'll do it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Scott Erickson, thanks so much for that conversation. Just uh, great to learn with him and um, and to learn from him. And now next up on the podcast, we have my friend Misha Watson next week. She is a kids TV host and producer. Um, she works in like nationwide TV content for kids. And we're going to explore what does TV even look like in the age of Netflix, in the age of streaming services. So can't wait to talk to Misha next week. You're going to love her. She's full of life. And of course, also thanks so much to our sponsors and partners who make this possible to Wycliffe College and to Compassion Canada. Go to wycliffecollege.ca slash digital and you can get some free swag. So why not check it out and go to compassion.ca slash gifts if you're looking to consider Christmas gifts for this upcoming season. Or hey, if you're listening to this past Christmas, of course, they have gifts all year round and there's lots of times of the year we need to give someone a gift. So consider compassion.ca slash gifts for that. And if you haven't joined us yet on the Digital Church Facebook group, what are you waiting for? Come join the party. Can't wait to see you over there and see you next week with Misha. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.